All right, what's up, everybody in the room? All of our Ports Live locations, I'm going to list them out because it's a new series. Ports Live, Fort Worth, North Houston, Austin, Texas, Midland, Texas, Scottsdale, Arizona, Boise, Idaho, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Cincinnati, Ohio, Des Moines, Iowa, Indianapolis, and Greater Lafayette, Indiana. We are launching into, launching into a brand new series on dating and relationships and hopefully extracting from God's word helpful principles related to all things love and of course marriage. Now, when I was around 20, you know, college, shortly after college, I realized that I was ignorant of wedding invitation protocol. Specifically, as it related to when you received an invitation to a wedding, the rules, unspoken rules, if you will, as it relates to who you can attend and can attend with. Here's what I mean. I would receive those invitations and like all through college, really until I got married and we had to do our own invitations. It would be an invitation, a friend was getting married and, and I'd open it up and it would say, uh, you know, number of guests, one, and I assumed that if you're invited to a wedding, you can always bring a date, no matter if they have a plus one or not. So I would just cross out the plus one and I would put two on there. And every wedding I went to as a single unmarried person, I always brought a date with me. I just thought, you know, of course, if I'm going to your wedding, I'm gonna bring a date. Whether I was dating someone or not, it just was a part of it. Like there were uh, multiple, in fact, on one occasion I brought two because I was just like, yeah, hey, we're bringing a couple friends. It's gonna be a party, it's gonna be great. In fact, the way that I met my wife was I got invited to a wedding up here in Dallas. This is like when we were in college and the way I started dating my wife and uh, I got an invitation and I did what I had done because I didn't know there was a rule that if they only say you can come, only you come. I was like, no, more than Mary, this is gonna be a party. And an hour or two before I left College Station to head to Dallas for this wedding, I bumped into my wife's best friend at the time. I wasn't dating my wife or anything. And I was like, hey, do you have plans this weekend? You wanna go to a wedding? We got in the car, went up to a wedding. And later that night, ended up dating or ended up hanging out with my wife and my wedding date, which was my wife's best friend at the time. I just didn't know there was certain protocol and rules on, you know, when you get that invitation, this is only for you. In fact, I think we should change that rule, that that's a story for another time. Now, what does that have to do with what we're going to talk about? Well, really in this entire series, just like in that scenario of not knowing who to bring to the wedding... Who's in bounds and who's not? What's appropriate and what's not? This whole series is aimed at giving clarity as best we can from God's word on who you should bring to the wedding. Not any wedding, your wedding. In other words, the type of person to date, how to date, and to look for and to be in dating and eventually in marriage in our attempt to extract from God's word principles as it relates to dating in a way that aligns with God's best. As it relates to the importance of this topic, because I know in the room there's certain people who are like, oh my gosh, the dating series, I'm just a reminder that I'm single again. And there's other people who are like, just chomping at the bit. You're like, I don't come to the porch any other Tuesday, I'm just here for this, I'm looking for love, I'm looking for love. <laughs> it's the spectrum in the room. The nervous laughter is typically the people who are there. But there are a few things that in your life are gonna make as significant of an impact on your future as who you marry. And the thing that's gonna impact and determine who you marry is who you date and how you date. 80% of the room statistically will get married by around the age of 35. Now that's not a guarantee, but that's statistically likely. I mean, think about that, that's, that's an enormous percentage. That means everybody but this section is getting married. And I apologize. And you guys are gonna be single for forever. <laughs> and you're really excited about that. I mean, statistically, that's likely. And so if that decision and evaluation is coming up, and maybe you're in that season right now and there's relationships that exist inside of the room, and how would God have you date one another, honor one another? Maybe you're in a season of singleness and 
you feel like God may be preparing or calling you, and there is somebody that you should date. And so we're gonna spend time just talking all throughout about what it looks like to date well, who to look for as it relates to a guy, who, it relates, who to look for as it relates to a girl, how to date, and what God's word has to say about that. But tonight, I wanna speak to a very specific group in the room. And it is a group that may not even identify with the next sentence I'm gonna say, but you are single and you are not ready to mingle. And by that, I don't mean that you are not interested in dating. You may even be interested in dating. But as it relates to, is it wise right now for you to date? The answer would be no. That there's a season that you should spend solidifying your relationship with the Lord, getting healthy, working through and preparing for that season of dating. Candidly, there are some couples in the room that we're gonna look at three reasons or three scenarios of when you should not date. And these scenarios may apply to you and your relationship. And my, the last thing I want is for you to come in here and feel beat down, feel discouraged, feel any of that. But I do wanna provide clarity because it is such an enormous decision that's going to impact your future and your life next to trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Who's gonna be your master? Who will be the mate that you walk through life with? For anyone who's gonna get married is the most significant decision you're gonna make. And so God, because he loves you, wants to provide wisdom and truth and principles and does all throughout the scripture on the type of marriage and type of woman to look for. Now, I wanna start by looking at a story in John chapter three as we look at these three things. Uh, John chapter four, I saw it, apologize. In John chapter four, we're introduced to arguably the most relationally dysfunctional person in all of the Bible. And she is currently single, or she's currently unmarried. By single, I mean unmarried. And Jesus pursues this woman, and what makes up her relational history and baggage has some overlap with the three things and three times scenarios where you should not date. And if these apply to you, it may be time for you to hit the brakes in the relationship, to hit pause on dating in general, and to strengthen and solidify your relationship with the Lord. Because you're never gonna get a relationship with a spouse right if you don't have a relationship with the Lord right. And God loves you. And he wants you to experience all of his best in the dating context. But we're gonna look at this woman. I'm gonna fly through this story and then extract a few things out of these three scenarios of when not to date. So we're gonna be in John chapter four, starting in verse four. It says this. Talking about Jesus. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now this is interesting and I'll move quick here, but when it says Jesus had to go through Samaria, that's unusual. John, when he wrote this, his audience, the readers would have gone, what? Because Jewish men and women, they didn't go through Samaria. Samaria was kind of a neighboring uh, country and area and they had hostility with the Jewish people. It was just like, we got bad blood. And so they wouldn't go through that area because there was racial tension and hostility. But Jesus says, I don't operate like everybody does. I have to go through Samaria because there is a woman that I want to meet and I have a conversation plan to take place. So Jesus says, we're going through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. So it begins to explain like where they go in Samaria, this area. It was near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone in town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans, John says. So it's middle of the day, it's blazing heat. Jesus sits down at this well. It's the Middle East. It's 100 plus degrees outside, incredibly hot. And someone shows up at the well that would have been unexpected, an unusual time. You didn't go to the well to get water in the blazing heat of the day unless you were trying to avoid people. And we're gonna discover this woman had a lot of relational baggage. She had a past, she had a present. She had some real shame that she carried. In other words, Samaritans were outcasts. 
she was an outcast of outcasts. She's going to the well at noon to avoid people. And she shows up and her worst case scenario that she can imagine is sitting at the well. It's not just there's people around. It's there's a man here. And it's not just any man. It is a Jewish man. Jews don't like women like me. And then he asks her for a drink, which to us, you know, we're like, is that really a big deal? He's saying, can I use, can we share the same cup? I'm going to associate myself with you. So, of course, she's perplexed. And that day, men didn't talk to women who were not their wives. And he's not just saying, talking to her. He's asking her, can I have a drink? Jesus answered in her response to, how can you ask me? And he says a line that only Jesus could get away with. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. So imagine, you're this lady, you're sitting at the well. There's this stranger that's sitting there. I mean, to us, we read that and we see the imagery. We know it's an illustration. It's beautiful. You would ask me, it would give you living water. But when you're a Samaritan woman who carries all kinds of shame in the blazing heat of the day, and you show up and there's some guy who asks you for a drink and then says, you know what? In fact, you should have asked me and I would have given you water that's alive. It's not beautiful, it's weird. And so she's going, water that is alive, what are you talking about? And she rightfully goes, sir, you don't even have anything to draw the water with. And it's a deep well. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, basically the guy who made this well, gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. The water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is using a metaphor And he's saying, just like that physical water quenches your physical thirst, I offer a satisfaction, something that can quench your spiritual thirst. I offer a lasting satisfaction that nothing else in this world can provide. Sir, the woman said, I'm sorry, then the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So she's still not connecting the dots and still doesn't get it. She's just going, give me the alive water so I don't ever have to come back here. And here's where Jesus begins to lovingly just lean in. He said, go and call your husband and come back. She replied, I I have no husband. And Jesus said, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the one and the man that you have now or are sleeping with, living with now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And now we begin to understand why this woman was showing up in the middle of the hottest part of the day, when no one else would be around to get water, that she carries this shame and baggage, relational brokenness. I mean, five divorces in that day and age was unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable in today's. It's very rare in today's day and age. At that time, and she had become so relationally dysfunctional that eventually she just gave up and was like, I, I don't, as long as he'll sleep with me, I don't even care. He didn't have to commit with me, and now she's living with a man who's not even married to her. And so she changes the subject and as a response to being uncomfortable of like, how does this guy know everything, all of my baggage? And she says, well, I I can see that you're a prophet and riddle me this, prophet. And she asks a religious question and, and then Jesus gives an answer to it and then she says, I know. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, who's called the Christ, is coming. 
And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. The very first occasion that Jesus introduces himself and reveals that he is the Messiah is to this outcast of outcasts where he looks her in the eyes and says, I'm the one you've been waiting for. The longest conversation that Jesus has in all of the New Testament is with this woman, the most relationally broken, dysfunctional woman in the Bible occupies the greatest amount of time of the Son of God in terms of communication. So let's just set the record straight. Whatever brokenness and whatever issues and dysfunction that is a part of your relational history or current history, if you were in the presence of Jesus himself, you wouldn't feel shame, you'd feel pursued. And this entire night is gonna be an attempt to learn from some of the parallels and ways that we look for relationships to feel something that they can't. But if you leave here and you feel shame and guilt and beat down, that's on me. Because if Jesus was here, you wouldn't feel that. And if you feel convicted to change habits, that's on the spirit. And so I wanna look at three things that are really parallels to this woman's incredible story. And parallel to the ruts that she was in that we can find ourselves in. And three reasons that you and I should not date, or three signs that you were not ready to date. So the first one, you are dating delusional. You are dating delusional. Let me explain what I mean. Each of us is gonna be a D. Delusional is when you are deceived. You're underneath the, you believe something that's not true. It's akin to thinking and believing in lies. This woman had likely fallen into a myth that a lot of us fall in today, which is, man, if I could just find the right person, then this relationship would work. And after one failed marriage, after another failed marriage, after another, and constantly going, you know, the problem is him. I just need to find the right person. And it's delusional to assume that after five different broken relationships, the problem is always them. If you are always at the scene of the car crash, you need to begin to ask the question, maybe I am part of the problem here. If the common denominator in every broken relationship in your life is you, then it could be worth addressing you. And this woman had bought a delusion of someone out there would be better suited for me. Well, my fear for us, just candidly, is from the moment you could read and think and take in information from the very first time, very first memories that you have, you have been discipled as it relates to love and dating from the world. Now, no one would ever call it that, but you've been discipled by Disney from the time that you were five years old. It's true. Messages about fairy tales and love and what to look for and the hero and they lived happily ever after have been ingrained in your mind and my mind from the very first breath that you took. And fairy tales, I love fairy tales. I love a you know, good knight in shining armor, but fairy tales will lie. Fairy tales tell you messages like, man, if the shoe fits, it's just gonna be perfect, you'll live happily ever after. Fairy tales communicate really the same storyline. There's always a damsel in distress. She needs to be rescued and you're looking for her and you're gonna be the shining armor. In dating relationships, in love, you're not looking for somebody who needs to be rescued. You're not looking to be the savior of somebody. You're looking for a partner in life, not a project that you're gonna rescue. And yet this message is consistently I mean, fairy tale idea. And then there's the more modern ways or more recent, you know, discipling from the world that has happened. And that looks like just the music that we listen to, the movies that we watch. I mean, Taylor Swift has probably discipled more people on love and uh, the world than anybody else. I mean, just think about all the ways that she has shaped. I mean, I knew you were trouble when you walked in. Then why did you date him? But... That message communicates, I mean, every Taylor Swift song communicates the same thing, like, yeah, he's bad for me, but I still like it, but he's bad for me, but I still like it, and ah! And that communicates and begins to make you think, like, man, I, I wanna have a relationship where they kinda play the game. Like, they don't always just honor me and text me back, and they're just a little mysterious. You know what mysterious is? It's shady, okay? That's what mysterious is. When they don't communicate for three days, that's shady. That's not mysterious. That's not a quality to appreciate. But that's, that's tailored discipling. 
call it Drake, call it the rom-com series. Whether it's you know, a Cinderella story and whatever the name of that girl is. What was her name? Hillary Duff to um, Rachel McAdams and The Notebook. You want to talk about dysfunction? I mean, look at the storyline. And they communicate, man, you should be looking for something. And, you know, it's the most important. Listen to your heart and follow those feelings. And, oh, man, it's when the butterflies are there, you know you're in love. Here's the deal with butterflies. Those fade. Butterflies fly away. If you follow and live for that, you're going to have feelings that if you, you're going to fall in love seven times a day. But all this is informing a lot of the ways we think. Here's, here's very specifically some of the ways that you are dating delusionally. If you embrace that, like I already said, they lived happily ever after. As soon as they got married, they put a ring on, happily ever after into the sunset. That has never happened in the history of humanity and existence and marriage. Marriage is amazing, but it takes daily work and dying to self. If you get nothing else and you just hear this point, marriage is amazing. Being married to my wife is one of the greatest gifts, but it is freaking hard. This is not for the faint of heart because it is called on husbands to die daily to your own desires, to when you sin against them, ask them for forgiveness, to pursue and prioritize them above yourself. And same thing with wives. Paul even says this. He's saying like, look, in 1 Corinthians 7, he's talking about marriage. He's like, look, singleness, and I know everyone in the room is like, yeah, you know, I'm sure it's hard, but at least you're married. I want to just set up the fact that there's no happily ever after. It is daily going to work. Paul would say this, 1 Corinthians 7, he says, those who marry will face many troubles. Those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you of this. You're choosing in marriage. This is somebody I am going to pursue conflict with, be sanctified with, die to yourself. The moment you say, I do, you are no longer you. That person is dead and gone. And daily, you're now called to live in love. Marriage is, is not dissimilar to the pandemic. It feels like a stretch, but follow me. The pandemic, anything that was weak was exposed it strengthened things that were strong, and they even grew stronger. But we saw families, businesses, churches, our world go through the trauma and the challenge. Marriage is not traumatic. It is a daily dying to yourself, though. It's not a happily ever after. That's a fairy tale. That's a child's way of thinking. Another way of thinking would be listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. Some of you guys have parents that tell you this. When you're evaluating, what does your heart say? And they're often well-meaning, but the Bible says when your heart is the compass by which you live, you're living according to a compass that will lead you to a really bad destination. It will lie to you. It's like following a broken compass, and you're like, I think it's north, and you're going the total wrong direction. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful, Above all things, above anything else, Jeremiah says, your heart is in its own category of how it can deceive you. That's why some of you guys are in relationships and you come to the porch and you love Jesus. And sure, some of you do, or a lot of you do, but you're dating somebody and you know he's not who God says you should date, or you know she's not who God says you should date. But your heart has moved you and made you go, yeah, but we, you know, I'm, we're working on it and she's going to get there and we have a song and we just love each other and the hills are alive with the sound of music when I hold her hand. And that's your heart deceiving you. The Bible says we're to have wise just counselors, people in our life who speak into that relationship that listening to your heart is a foolish way to live. It's another one that you would... Embrace this delusional mindset that there is one person out there for you. The one. Man, this is common. I mean, church Christian circles talk about this. They, hey, there's a soulmate, and when God made them, he had you in mind. Now, that sounds really great with Justin Timberlake singing it. It's just not biblically true. 
that my wife was not made for me. She was made for God and to have a relationship with him. I wasn't made for my wife. She's not there to complete me. I was made for a relationship with God. There is no the one for you. There is a group of people called God's people, and there is a someone from amongst that group that has the characteristics and criteria that you can choose to pursue and to marry, but there is no the one out there that you are looking for and waiting for. You are looking for the characteristics that God lists out in Scripture that should be exhibited in a husband or a wife and a father and a mother. There is no the one, not to burst the bubbles, and it sounds great, and you know, we watch the movies and it makes us go, oh man, if only I could find. But you know that's not true. I mean, think about it. If there is just the one with the divorce rate where it's at, somebody missed their one, and that means like a domino effect, just boom, 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 boom. How many of us have, it's over. There's no the one, but you can choose from among, you can choose someone from among God's people, which leads to the next one, a lie that is delusional. And this one always gets people riled up, but it's the truth. Make sure you're sexually compatible. It's delusional. Hey, you need to make sure, you know, you wouldn't buy a car before you test drive it. You need to make sure you guys are sexually compatible. Here, I'm gonna just burst this bubble real quick, and I'm not trying to be crass. Here's how you know. In fact, tonight, if you're in a dating relationship, you don't have to introduce sex to know if you're sexually compatible. You can come down front. I will tell anybody that wants to know if they're sexually compatible. Here's how you know. Ready? You're a man, and she's a woman. <laughs> God literally designed the parts. And I'm not saying that you should explore sexual compatibility with anyone if they're the opposite sex. I'm saying that's a, that's a box you don't have to really worry about as long as you're a man and she's a woman. Sex and making sure, like, hey, you gotta make sure you guys have great sexual chemistry. You have your whole marriage to figure that out. Great sex doesn't make a great relationship. Sex doesn't make a relationship. Sex makes babies. And you don't need to worry of, do we have that compatibility? Which brings me to the last one. Chemistry matters more than character. Chemistry matters more than character. Chemistry is, man, it, it, I'm not saying it doesn't matter, there's not a place for it, but if it comes at the expense of character, if the thing that you celebrate and really the reason you're in love is just, man, every time we're together and we just, we both like the cowboys and we both, you know, love Mexican food and we both love, blue's our favorite color. And like, if that's the foundation of your relationship and they don't have character, that is a recipe for a disaster. Because character, chemistry doesn't get you through all the challenging things that are in front of this room. I mean, look at the size of this room. Do you know how many miscarriages are ahead of this room? Do you know how many diagnoses of cancer are ahead of this room? You know how much challenging times are ahead? And we have a God who can sustain and is in control and is sovereign, but in those moments, you don't need to just enjoy the same music when you're walking through the death of a family member. You need character. And that is a higher priority. Do they tell the truth? Are they honest? Are they trustworthy? How do they care for people around them? How do they care for the family members that they have? How do they talk about somebody when he's not around? Do they have character? Or do y'all just have chemistry? First thing, like this lady, delusional dating, the second thing is dating dehydrated. You are dating dehydrated. Now let me explain. I'm not talking about you need to go get a water bottle. I'm saying this lady clearly was relationally, I mean of all the women in the New Testament, this girl was thirsty five different marriages, and now she's sleeping with a guy who's not even her husband? Now, we don't know all the backstory and all the ways and all the reasons, but she clearly was attempting, and the story of the Bible is Jesus saying, hey, you have a physical thirst, but you have a spiritual thirst. You're trying to fill with a man? There's no marriage or man that can fill that. There's no woman or wife that can feel that. Only God. And you can search for the rest of your life and discover that. And every person who's ever been married, they quickly learn, like, marriage doesn't change your loneliness. And you're not gonna believe me, and it's easy for me to say, I get it, because I'm married. If you're right now going, gosh, I just, 
I can't be okay without having someone in my life, and so I'm just going to lower my standards because I'm just so tired of being lonely. Marriage will not fix your loneliness. Marriage will fix your singleness, but it cannot fix your loneliness because that is an internal, soul-level, only Christ-fixable problem. Marriage will change your last name, but it won't change your loneliness. And it is so much better to be single and feel lonely right now and wait for someone who has the criteria that God says to look for than to be married and lonely in the future. It is so much better to be single today and trust God and look for the characteristics he said, to be single and lonely today than to be married and lonely someday. That loneliness is a far greater depth. And you probably don't believe me, but I've been teaching on dating on this stage and at this place for 12 years. And I have seen nothing destroy the hearts and lives of people like their toxic dating relationships, the compromises that they've made. And I just don't want that for you. And you gotta decide, man, am I, am I looking for this relationship to fill? I'm looking for something to fill a hole in me that maybe they can't fill. So they can't. You're dating dehydrated. You wanna approach dating as a whole person, W-H-O-L-E, I'm a whole person. I'm complete in Christ. They don't complete me, I'm complete in Christ. Not approach dating as a whole, H-O-L-E, like I got holes in my life and I'm looking for you to plug and you to fill them because they won't be able to. This woman tried and tried and tried and tried. She had five marriages. Some of us are like, I just want one, God, just want one marriage. She got five and it didn't work. I was on Instagram and I did a poll yesterday and asked, hey, what are some examples of being relationally thirsty? And y'all are crazy, man. So here's some of the examples and answers. <laughs> um, they dress like a harlot. <laughs> they hop from one relationship to the next to the next. They only text you and slide into your DMs at 3 a.m. They're on every dating app imaginable. They have the Snapchat handle in their Instagram bio. Hard pass. <laughs> I, I, man, it, I, it's probably time for everybody to just retire Snapchat. <laughs> they, wow. You're welcome, TikTok. They'll take anyone. They wear revealing clothes. They continuously jump from one relationship to the next. They're always talking about how they just wish that they were in a relationship. It's all they ever post on Instagram about. They're serially dating. They lower their standards to address their loneliness. They're grasping for attention and thirst traps. Now those not, may not be the ways that you would say, I, I'm dating dehydrated, but I would ask you the question, to be honest with yourself, like, are you dating from a healthy, strong relationship in Christ? And some of you are. Some of you should date, and you're in a great place with Christ, and you're single, and I'm so proud of you, and keep going. But some of you, you're dating dehydrated, and that person can't quench your thirst. You're asking them to do what only Jesus can. It's like salt water. There's no amount of salt water that can quench your thirst. And if I approach saltwater and want it to quench my thirst, I'm asking it to do something it cannot do. And you dating someone, expecting them to fill the hole that only Jesus can, is asking them to do something they cannot do. And I have seen this creep in even in Christian circles where people, they don't even fully realize that they're looking for this person to fill a hole and then they get married and they don't fill that hole and they go, maybe I married the wrong person. In fact, 
Almost every affair that I've ever been a part of, counseled, shepherded, cared for people that are walking through, happens the exact same way. In fact, if an affair happens by somebody in this room, and I hope it never does, but if it does, let me just tell you the offense. Happens almost this exact same way every time. You ready? Couple gets married, they're in love, things are going well, they took the vows, they're together. Bring in some little kids along the way, they're journeying through life, things are hard, bodies are changing, jobs hard. All of a sudden, they don't have as much time to prioritize just the two of them. And he's over here at work all day long, eight hours a day. And you know what happens at work? He's spending a lot of time around people and some coworkers, some of the opposite sex. And he's thriving. He's shining. He's got his best. He's had a cup of coffee. He's sharp. He's ready. Unlike at night where he goes home and he's changing diapers and he's going through all those challenges at work, he's around people that are seeing him thrive or seeing him use his gifts and seeing him what he's good at creating, designing, making. And someone of the opposite sex begins to connect with them and go, man, you're, you're so great at that. And it starts with an emotional connection. And while that's happening and the flirting is happening back and forth, all of a sudden they begin to spend more time together one-on-one -on -one, and maybe it's a lunch and it's not a big deal. And all the while, just at home, things are challenging and you know, life is hard and it's stressful and schedules are busy. But at work, it's like, man, we got wide open spaces. And she appreciates me. She knows my gifts. And you begin to confide in one another. I mean, I've seen it happen more times than I could count. And eventually, physical line is crossed. And you know what the mindset of this person who's crossing that boundary the whole time is? I think I married the wrong person. The majority of affairs happen at work. And they don't happen because people are going like, you know what, I'm just gonna ruin everything in my life today. They happen because they go, oh, I think I married the wrong person. And I don't wanna be unhappy. And they're delusional. They're dehydrated. They think if I could just get with the right person, everything would be fine. And I must have married the wrong one. You have never married, no one in history has ever married the wrong person. Because they're who you're married to. But if you chase and you operate looking for them to fill, that's, that's the storyline of how it always happens. So you wanna be someone who dates complete in Christ and only dates people who are complete in Christ. And finally, the last one, dating when you are dating damaged, now I want to be really careful and be very specific because I know already people feel like damaged goods in this talk and just in general. By damaged, all of us in life experience hurts, trauma, abuse, to varying degrees, but painful moments in our story. The absence of a father or the abandonment of a parent or something that hurts inside of your life and you have the responsibility, and I have the responsibility. It wasn't your fault that that happened, but it is now your responsibility to heal from it and not date from a damaged place. That I, I've got the decision, and you have got the decision, and the responsibility to decide I'm going to heal from the hurt and the harm that was happened to me. Because if you don't heal from hurts, from cuts, from things that were happened to you, you are going to bleed out on people who never hurt you and never cut you. We say that again, if you don't heal from what happened to you, you are going to bleed out in life on people, relationships, spouses, dating on people who never cut you. But you can decide, man, I'm going to heal. How do you heal from past trauma and past abuse? We did an entire series called Antisuppressants on working through this stuff. But one of the things you gotta decide is I'm going to forgive. I'm gonna choose to forgive people that have hurt me. I'm not gonna carry this anymore. I'm not gonna let this person have any more control in my life. I forgive them. And again, I, I'd encourage you to go listen to that message on releasing that debt and entrusting that to God. And I suppressants from earlier this summer. But I'm gonna choose to forgive them. Colossians chapter three says, we are to forgive one another if you have any grievance, just like God in Christ forgave you. Anytime I'm doing a wedding of two individuals, I ask a series of questions and meeting with them and just getting them to know them and spend time with them before we do the wedding. And I ask this question every time. Is there anyone in your life you have not forgiven? And they'll think and they'll go through and sometimes it's, no, I, I, not that I can think of. And other times it's, yeah, my dad. 
my sister, my brother, grandparent. And I, as tenderly as I can say, I cannot do your wedding until you forgive them. And that's not to be harsh or to be hurtful. It's because Jesus commands us to in scripture. And if I'm gonna stand there and say, by the authority vested in me, according to God Almighty, pronounce you man and wife, I can't with integrity say, I am joining two people together and one of them is saying, I carry around hurts and resentment and bitterness. Because you two coming together in marriage, you've already shown that, hey, when I get hurt, I'm gonna pick this up and I'm gonna carry it and I'm gonna hold on to it. There's a level at which, man, if you hurt me, I'm carrying this with me. What happens in marriage is you have the most intimate, deep relationship that possibly exists. And the greater the depth of intimacy, the greater the depth and potential for pain. And you're gonna have these two people come together and one of them's already said, when I get hurt, I hold on to resentment. So inside of that marriage, what are they gonna do? When they get hurt, they're gonna hold on to that resentment. And marriage is two people choosing to forgive one another after deeply hurting one another, unintentionally or intentionally. Billy Graham was asked, what makes a good marriage? And he said, two great forgivers. Is there anyone that you need to forgive. Maybe one of the greatest gifts you can give your spouse is saying, man, I, I have worked through and healed a lot of painful things. And it may take time. But I can say, man, I've forgiven all that have harmed and hurt me. Another way to begin to heal is to deal with toxic habits that are eating disorder. It is something you need to confess to your community group. A pornography addiction that is feeding and fueling lies as it relates to sexuality. A spending problem, that you got multiple credit cards in multiple different directions and you got a lease on a Range Rover outside and you're way over the top in terms of debt. There's a gambling problem. Maybe you're coping with just alcohol, weed, nicotine, video games that you would deal with those toxic habits now. Because marriage, like I said, it doesn't make those go away, it magnifies them. You're putting pressure on it. Whatever you're carrying, you can give the gift to your spouse of saying, I'm gonna choose in this season to work on that, work through that. When you go on your honeymoon, you're gonna bring luggage with you. You want the luggage and baggage you bring to be in physical luggage not baggage that you're still carrying. Or you wanna minimize it as best that you can. And that is a gift to your future wife or your future husband. And then spend this season prioritizing Jesus. Maybe you need to go through Regen, which is a recovery ministry and dealing with different destructive hurts, habits, and hangups on Monday nights here at six o'clock, 6.30. Prioritize pursuing Jesus. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, use this season right now if you're single to strengthen and solidify an undistracted devotion to the Lord. My wife and I, we, we dated for a year and then we broke up for almost two years. And there was no plan to get back together. We just reached a point where we weren't ready to move forward. It just was the right time. And it was horrible and it was really painful. And I didn't know what would happen. But I decided in that season, man, I'm gonna take a year and just pursue and prioritize the Lord that I'm gonna grow in my knowledge of his word. I'm gonna grow, and I was a 20-something single in Dallas. And the moment you decide, God, I'm just gonna pursue and prioritize you for this season, it's like every amazing single lady in the whole world begins to pop up all around you after you've made that commitment. But it was one of the greatest seasons. I look back, and I don't know who I would be today if I didn't have that season. And it wasn't a result of, a reason wasn't because of a breakup. It didn't have to be because of a breakup. It was just a season where I could go, God, I just want to prioritize you and learn more about you. And maybe if you are any of these three things, the gift you can give is go, man, I'm going to prioritize preparing for marriage by prioritizing Jesus. The truth about marriage is it is far more important and far more significant 
the preparation you have before it than the promise you make. Let me say that again. Marriage is gonna come down to preparation and a promise, not a promise. It's not the strength of your promise that is gonna make it work. In other words, if this week, Dallas Cowboys, Coach McCarthy, whatever his name is, comes out and he's like, hey, I promise we are going to win the Super Bowl. I am committed and I promise as hard as I can we're gonna win the Super Bowl. You would roll your eyes and you go, man, you can promise all day, but if you're not preparing, you're not gonna win the games. Because we know that when it comes to athletics and sports, it's not about how hard you promise, it's about how well you prepare. And the same is true in marriage. You can together be like, hey, boo, man, um, we're gonna make it. No, this is gonna be great. I'm, I'm really, really promise. But if you don't prepare, it comes down to preparation, not the strength of your promise, but how well you have prepared. In conclusion, these are three signs that exit in dating. You're dating delusionally, and you need to shift and embrace God's design. You're dating dehydrated, and you need to shift and embrace that Christ alone can satisfy. You're dating damaged, and that doesn't change your value, and you're not damaged goods or thrown out to the curb, but you gotta heal. And you're gonna choose, I'm gonna prioritize healing and pursuing Jesus. I was in Mobile, Alabama, and uh, I was speaking about a month ago at an event, and I landed and I got off the plane and I realized I didn't have a belt, or I forgot my belt, and so I Googled and looked what stores were available and nearby and by the hotel, and there was a Marshalls. And I drove over and went inside of the Marshalls, and if you've been into Marshalls, it's kind of like um, Ross or just one of these stores where you go in and everything's on sale. I don't know that they've ever had an item that is not on sale go into Marshalls before. So I go over there and I'm looking at all these belts, and they're like, this belt was $119, but now we'll sell it for a nickel. And so everything is just like so marked down. And I, I literally bought the belt that I'm wearing right now and it was $49.99 for $7.99. It's just like, man, who, what is the business model and how are they making any sort of revenue on this? And why are they selling these products so discounted? Maybe they don't think they're as valuable or they are valuable. And then you contrast that with other stores. Stores you go into and they never have a sale. I mean, I'm talking like high-end stores that, or even Apple, that you go in and you're like, look, hey, is the iPhone, is there gonna be like a sale coming out, like 20% of it? And they're like, no. You go into Louis Vuitton and they go, I'm sorry, we don't do sales, we don't do coupons. We know the value of our product and we're not gonna sell it short. We're not gonna discount it and undercut its value. The difference in those two scenarios is one says, man, I know it's value and I won't settle for anything less. The other one says, its value is really not that big. I'll take whatever we can get. I wanna leave you with this. This woman had the most broken relational history of anyone in the New Testament. The Son of God, shows up on the planet. And one of the first interactions that he has is him prioritizing, I have got to go to Samaria. Not he happened to walk through and they were going along. He said, no, no, guys, hey, today we're all getting up. We are going to Samaria because there is a woman who I have an appointment with, who I am pursuing, who I want to know, despite all the brokenness, all the messed up stuff, she needs to know her worth. And I will expose and explain that I am the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the one who paid for all of humanity's sins, the one that she has been waiting for. Because I'm not done with her. And she needs to know her value, despite all the brokenness. It doesn't change how I feel about her. She had to go to Samaria. And what you need to hear is God no matter your past, has not changed how he feels about you. And he says, you wanna know your worth? You need to stop discounting yourself and giving yourself out and allowing other guys and you know, they don't meet all the standards that God says, but I just, I'm afraid of being lonely and real guys don't exist like they talk about at the porch or real girls don't exist like that. You don't sell yourself short because you know your value. 
Your value is so great that God himself would die on a cross for your sin, for your life. That's how valuable you are. And when you come to dating, you think about love. You don't sell yourself short and discount your life, discount your future, discount your sexuality, your marriage, your love, because you know your value. Just like this woman, Jesus said, I know everything about you. I still love you. I'm still here to die for you. It didn't change how I feel. I want you to experience healing in your love life. It doesn't make me move away though. I want you to know your value. And I hope tonight, if you've never trusted in Christ and received him as your savior, the payment for your sin, he's so in love with you. And that relationship above any other matters most. You wanna know your value? Your value according to God was the exchange of his own life so he could have a relationship with you. You don't sell yourself short and settle for a discount. You know who you are. And now date and live in light of that. Let me pray. Father, I pray for everyone in this room who is in a dating relationship that you would breathe clarity and life into that relationship if you want it to continue, if it would honor you to continue. And if it doesn't, and if it isn't, and wouldn't, we pray that you would break it up. And we ask for your help in our hearts as we journey through that. I pray for every single person here that if they were honest, they would say, I'm not ready. And I need to spend some time prioritizing you that that would happen. I thank you for the hundreds, if not thousands of godly singles who love you and model daily. You are enough, you're sufficient, you're the one I was made for. And God, we trust you with marriage and we ask that you would provide, if that is in your will, a spouse in your time and help us to trust you with that. And I pray that this whole series wouldn't just sharpen best practices on dating, but deepen our relationship with you, the one we were made for. We love you, amen.